today on Ag News Daily. We have three roles, Ag Teacher, Ag Club Advisor, and Agriculture Extension Agent. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Delaney Howell, one of the hosts for the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined as always by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, you're on the road today. Tell us where you were. I am everywhere and nowhere all at once, Delaney. <laughs> yeah, okay. I am a traveling cipher. People can never quite understand just exactly what I'm up to. No, I had a, had a great conversation talking with uh, with retailers from all across the northern states. Basically, we're talking North Dakota. There were some folks there from Minnesota. It was a whole mm-hmm. crowd with Bear Crop Science and uh, had an interesting update on the Bear Monsanto integration, I guess, is the part of what they're they're working on now. And it is really interesting to see these two massive companies coming together, Delaney. Tell me a little more, Mike. I don't think that I can. Oh, Um, It was kind of a, you know, here's for the insiders type. And I wasn't an insider. I was just, you know, a fly on the wall. Uh, But I don't want (laughs) to, you know, tell tales out of school. Okay. Well, I guess that's fair. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they are getting the two companies integrated. And it's a beast of a company, what they're building between these two, Bayer and Monsanto, when it comes to crop protection and seeds. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Absolutely. So that's what I am up to. But I'm headed home, headed home in the Mm -hmm. snow, it looks like. Uh, What's new in the world of Delaney? Um, I'm excited. I'm going to, well, I'm going to Council Bluffs tonight. But later this afternoon, I'm headed to Carroll, Iowa, to talk to, I think he was, He's Iowa, Iowa's legendary Templeton Rye. I think he does some stuff with that. I'm not sure what the connection is yet, but I'm excited. I get to tour the distillery there in Carroll, mm-hmm. Iowa. Do you get to sample any? I don't know. Should I sample? I would assume so. Yeah. Have you ever had Templeton Rye? Yeah. Okay. I say it's good stuff. I've heard. I'm not really like a whiskey or a rye person, so maybe he'll teach me the proper technique to do it there you go he'll teach you to enjoy it because Delaney you know I mean that's one of those things rye is is a a great way to uh to move grain it Mm -hmm. makes grain portable just like bourbon was the uh the first way we were selling corn over the mountains out of the the, you know Tennessee and Kentucky Mm -hmm. there yeah I think he has some connection to like the prohibition because Carroll County was one of the counties that basically as I understand it and he's hopefully gonna give me the full story um basically worked with bootleggers or people that were making alcohol back during the prohibition era to give them like the grains that they needed to make the alcohol. Absolutely. Yeah. I believe Templeton rye was a drink favored by Al Capone. If the, uh, if I remember the legend correctly. Yeah. You're a history major. You should know that. Well, I I know a history major and a bit of a drunk. So those two things (laughs) correspond to a history of alcohol. Yeah. But I, I think I heard that somewhere. But don't okay. quote me. Ask, ask your guy. I will. And then if we'll it's good, uh, tomorrow. Well, yeah, I was going to say, if it's a good interview, maybe I'll play it on the podcast. Fantastic. Before we get to today's interview, which, Delaney, you lined up for today, and it was a really mm-hmm. interesting discussion. Do you want to tell us who we're going to be talking to? Yeah, we have – actually, I don't know how we line them up so close together, but we have another AgriCorps volunteer who is in Ghana at the moment. His name is Mitchell Rosebaum. He is from Boyd in Iowa or up near Boyd in Iowa. Been in Ghana, it sounds like, for a couple of months. So he's going to give us his update kind of on 
Ghanaian, Ghanaian. How did we decide you pronounce it? I think Ghanaian. Ghanaian. Yeah, okay. Ghanaian agriculture and uh, just his experience with agriculture. So stay tuned for that. 100%. You want to stay tuned. But before we get to that interview, Delaney, we've got news happening mm-hmm. in the capital and, of course, across the country and around the world. Do you want to give us your first update, your headline? I will start with an update from our capital, our national capital, D.C. It looks like, knock on wood, we have a farm bill, a tentative agreement in place. Senate Agriculture Chairman Pat Roberts announced to reporters just this morning that a farm bill A tentative agreement on the outstanding issues such as the forestry issues, etc., has been agreed upon. And now the last thing that is kind of pending is getting final cost estimates. So waiting for the Congressional Budget Office to send over those cost estimates for, you know, what would things cost for packages and whatnot. So he said it's a little premature that we have a complete agreement, but I think all of those big issues like the forestry thing have finally been solved. Wow. That is more up-to-date news than I had on the farm bill. So I'm glad you've got that piece for us. Mm-hmm. So we're waiting on the CBO. We're waiting mm-hmm. on the cost. Do they, they give us a better timeline as to when we might <laughs> see a full vote on well, the farm bill as a completed package? No, like, because like while this Congress is still in session, it sounds like. Uh, uh, so the the issue that we're waiting on now is for the CBO office to get those numbers. And he was apparently asked, you know, OK, well, how soon can we expect those numbers? And he told reporters sooner is better. Um, so that doesn't really tell you a whole lot. Sooner no. is better. That's it. It almost always is. Well, yeah. So that's really what we're waiting on now. When I'm trying to think, what day do they end their session? Is it? Do you remember no off idea. the top of your head? Okay, nope, I think zero it's, clue. It's whenever they decide the they're week, done. I think it's the week before Christmas, but I'm not positive on that. Or maybe it's that Friday, the 22nd before no, Christmas. Oh, I'm sure it's the week before. They take okay. a lot of vacation days in DC. Yeah, it's got to be something close to that. But that is what we're waiting on. So. I don't know. Do you want to take a wager now if they get it done before the end of the session or not? Well, this has utterly gobsmacked me if I'm telling the truth. So I'm Mm -hmm. surprised they were able to make this much progress. Uh, Yesterday, I would have wagered Mm -hmm. heavily on the not getting things done Mm -hmm. before the end of the session. With this in place, with that forestry issue resolved, I'm a lot more favorable. It actually sounds like you say this might get done here in the short term. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Um. I'm not optimistic that it's going to get done before the end of the year, to be quite honest. But I don't know. Congress has a way of just like, you know, magically doing things very quickly. Or D.C. has a way of like, you know, working things behind the scenes. So maybe. Yeah, who knows? Well, actually, speaking of behind the scenes in D.C., we got an update today on a program you talked about yesterday, Delaney. Did you see this? No, I didn't. The refinery biofuel waiver program Mm. is on hold. Oh, no. Yes, new I did see this. Yep. OK, I lied. Uh-huh. OK, um, for the time being, they are uh, their Department of Energy is the one doing the look through. They're trying to figure out, OK, how are we really figuring up who's in trouble, who needs these waivers? And then EPA is still going to get the final say. We don't know how long this review is going to take. Um, 
but it is frozen for the time being. So no additional refiners will be getting exemptions from biofuel requirements in the immediate future. Okay, well, I have a piece of news to kind of dovetail right off of that nicely. The EPA has rejected requests from the corn lobby, I assume national corn growers, to reallocate biofuel volumes waived under the small refinery exemption program into its 2019 mandate. Yeah, yeah, we kind of knew that was coming. Yeah. They've mm-hmm. been pretty firm on that. We're not going to give you back your 2.5 billion bushels of mm-hmm. demand. Yep. Well, it's yeah. absolutely 100% for sure now. So. Okay. All right. Well, let's see. What other news do we have going on? You know, I like to talk a lot about the broader economy, Delaney, because mm-hmm. Rich people, of course, like to eat high-quality protein, which <laughs> is a great thing for I, America's corn um, growers. I've had steak the last four nights for dinner. Good for you, Delaney Howell. Yeah. What have you had for breakfast and lunch? Usually eggs. Good for you. Eggs for breakfast, and I don't know, I don't always, I don't always eat lunch, so. Yeah. Eh. Yeah. Well, you know, I had, uh, I had the biggest breakfast I've had in a long time today. And I tell you what, it makes a huge difference when you, yeah. you fill that tummy up in the morning with eggs and protein and Yours hash probably browns. probably needs a little more to fill it, right? You need a little more consumption to fill your belly. Ha 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 ha. But yes, that is true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So we've got news from the broader economy. GDP grew at three and a half percent. Uh, Congress announced, or not Congress, geez, they don't know anything. The Commerce <laughs> Department announced earlier today, um, in its second estimate of third quarter GDP growth. So this is, you know, the third quarter, which ended what, uh, November 1st or October 31st, 30th. How many days are in October, Delaney? 31. 31? Yeah. Halloween okay. is on the 31st. Okay. So October 31st is when it ended 3.5%. So down a little bit still from the, uh, 4.2% we saw in the second quarter, but they didn't revise it any lower, which is good news. However, they're getting concerned about fourth quarter economic growth. Of course, we've seen the price of oil decline, which is starting to hurt jobs in places like uh, like North Dakota, like Texas, those uh, uh, fracking type of areas. We've heard now General Motors laying off 14,000 employees across the country, and they're starting to get a little nervous about what the fourth quarter could look like, or they still believe we are going to be annually at a 3% GDP growth, which is a which is a pretty solid, pretty exceptionally solid rate of growth for a country the size of the United States of America and with its with the amount of wealth that we already have in place. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, so what's that going to do, you think, for commodities? Nothing in the short okay. term. Yeah. Yeah. I guess yeah, I kind of talked about that on Monday. Yep, kind of a big fat nothing, but the good news is it's not going to make it any worse for commodities. Well, that's true. It's not going to significantly force people to go, oh my gosh, we got to put all our money in the stock market. It's just, you know, okay, status quo is here. People are going to continue to eat. We're going to continue to get a little bit richer. However, we did have some news that is definitely going to impact growers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell gave a speech earlier today and he said interest rates are now just below what the Fed is considering neutral. So they are still planning to hike rates again later this month, put another quarter percent hike in place. But then we're getting awfully close to them leaving it flat, mm-hmm. which means that maybe we won't see interest rate hikes as much this next year, which means maybe we won't see the cost of operating notes and long-term debt 
climb as quickly as we thought it was earlier so, in the year. I think I have mixed feelings about that because when you see the Fed raising interest rates, that's an indication that the economy is booming or growing. If they're leaving them the same, that to me is an indicator that we're maybe hitting a plateau. Yes. Yep, that's exactly right. So this kind of dovetails off that concerns mm-hmm. beginning with General Motors laying mm-hmm. off 14,000 people oh, yeah. and the stock market sell off. I mean, there are, there are some things out there that have economists worried yeah, that, hey, perhaps sure. this growth explosion is coming to an end or at least slowing down. Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah, you know, all good things come to an end eventually. Yeah, We've been on a, a bull market since 2009, so right. eventually things stop. Let's see. Well, as we're talking about GDP and people wanting more beef or higher protein sources, China has been and other Asian markets have been some of the you know surging demand that we see growing across the world. And we've got a new well, it's not really a new announcement, but I, I found this article this morning on AgWeb and I thought it was interesting. So that I would share it with our listeners. Mike, do you know where the world's largest feedlot is in the world? The world's largest. I'm going to guess it's Australia. You are. No, it's China. Nope. Oh, it's Australia. Nope. It's not either. It's actually in South Africa. Uh, That was my third guess. Was it? I doubt it. I don't think it was. Anyways. So Taron, I think is how you pronounce it. K-A-R-A-N beef is the world's largest feedlot. And it's just south of Johannesburg. They're in South Africa. They've got 160,000 cattle on that property alone, which they converted from dairy to beef production in 1980. They send about half a million animals to slaughter every year. And they just recently, I think within the last year here, got access to the Chinese market. And just an interesting article because... um They originally had business with the Middle East. Last year, they won access to China, and they have doubled in export volume to China. They send a ton of meat every year or have started sending a ton of meat every year to China. Let's see. In the year, so, so far, up until November, they've shipped 4.34 million kilograms of beef to China and 4.68 million kilograms of beef to the Middle East just from this one feedlot alone. I think this would be phenomenal to go visit this site. Absolutely. Yeah, I love touring feedlots. It's one of my favorite things in the world. I can't even fathom like what 160,000 cattle on feed looks like though. You know, know, I'm kind of surprised it isn't bigger to be the world's largest. I mean, there are feedlots in Kansas. I know that on one location at least have 100, 120,000 heads. So we're not too far behind here in the United States at some of these big yards. Right. But you just wouldn't think of South Africa as being the location for the world's largest feedlot. Well, clearly I didn't think of it. I would have figured in China they'd be putting a million steer on feed somewhere, you know, just because they do things. Yeah, that's true. They do. Well, speaking of big, Delaney, part of the reason I thought Australia was, did you see the story about Nickers the Steer? <laughs> no clue what you're talking about right now. You don't know what I'm talking about? You haven't no, seen this on Twitter? No, I haven't been on Twitter, oh, I don't think. Google up Nickers, K-N-I-C-K-E-R-S, Nickers the Steer. He's an Australian steer. He's three years old, and he is six and a half feet tall. There are some phenomenal pictures of him standing around the farm where he lives, um, basically 
leading all of the much smaller cattle around. He hmm. is not the world's largest steer. That goes to a Kianina ox in Italy that is six foot seven. But Nickers is right up there, and these pictures are hilarious. He's a Holstein, obviously, because Holsteins are freakishly large critters to begin with. Mm-hmm. And he's on a farm with these all-black Brahmin-influenced cattle, and he just – he's literally head and shoulders above the rest of the herd. And they say he's just a friendly steer. They were going to try to have him slaughtered, but he was too big and wouldn't <laughs> fit through the door. Oh, my gosh. So that saved his life. He was saved by being fat, Delaney, not saved <laughs> by working out. See that? Uh-huh, I'm going to yeah, live a well, lot longer than you. He's an animal, so. So are we, Delaney. So okay. are we. Okay, all right. Yeah, nice. Thanks um, for that. Yeah, you're welcome. But uh, so now his job is, because all of the other cattle on this feed yard, I can't tell if it's a ranch or a feed yard. It looks like he's a cow-calf operator who then mm-hmm. finishes out his calves. Um his name, and actually he must be a relative of mine, his name is Jeff Pearson, spelled the same, <laughs> um, is his owner. But he uses Nickers now as his uh, kind of a herd bull. All the other steers follow him whenever he goes from paddock to paddock, and everybody likes him. So he's just kept him around, and he uses him as a, kind of a tour guide there at the farm. <laughs> I like his name, too, Nickers. Yes, they named him Nickers because initially he was friends with a small Brahmin bull, and the Brahmin bull's name was Bra. So it was Bra and Nickers were nice. friends. Yeah. Is that the world's largest? Is that the world's largest like bull on nope. record? Nope. And so he's a steer, uh, but the world's yeah. largest is that Kianina ox in Italy. Oh. Three inches taller. I don't know why you know all of this off the top of your head. Because but... it was in a story on oh, Huffington okay. Post. which I saw on Twitter. Funny. That's random. I like that. That's a good piece of fun news. Okay. Well, I have, um, sorry, what was that? uh, No. What's your other piece of news? Well, I was going to say, I have one other piece of news because as we look at the markets for today, they have definitely had another strong day, another strong close. And I'm guessing that it's because of Larry Kudlow's recent statement who now he says that there's a good possibility for a deal to end this U.S.-China trade dispute when President Trump and President Xi sit down later this meet, meet that later this week. Um, Kudlow said that he is open to it. Trump is open to the idea of a possible deal, but only if Xi makes it clear that China is willing to stop the practice of forcing U.S. companies to hand over intellectual property. So I, uh, I have mixed feelings about this because I feel like the media is just reporting whatever they want and it's causing sparks in the soybean markets because people are listening to it. And it's like, okay, one day somebody says we're going to have a deal. The next day somebody says we're not going to have a deal. I don't know what to believe. Well, we never do know Delaney, but what do you say? Why don't you take us into the markets? Okay. Well, Mike had to run off for his flight. So I'm going to finish up looking over at the markets for today. And of course, those are sponsored by our partners at the Zaner Group. We've got lots of great friends over there. We've got Ted Seifert, Brian Grossman, Matt Zaner, the owner of the company. Any one of those folks has lots of insight into what the commodity markets are doing and can help you put together a plan for your operation. Give them a call today at 312-277-0050. As I mentioned, we have seen quite a bit of strength in the soybean markets in particular for today. But let's start by looking at where the corn markets closed on the day. The December corn contract finished up four and a quarter cent at 360 and three quarters, while the March finished up 
five cents stand at 373 and a half. The soybean pits definitely have now gotten back what they gave up on Monday between yesterday's trade and today's close. The January contract up 15 cents on the day to end at 890 and a half, while the March up 14 and a quarter to close at 903 and a half. The wheat pits here, we're seeing a little bit of a mixed spread between the December and the March. The December closed down three quarters of a cent at 497 and a quarter, while the March was pulled up with the rest of the grains today to close five cents higher at 511 and a half. Hopping over into the livestock pit, we are seeing some red on the board. The December front month contract in the green seven and a half cents to close at 116.77 and a half, while the February live cattle contract closed down five cents to end at 120.55. In the feeder cattle pits, we're seeing plenty of red on the screen today, with the January closing down 72 and a half cents at 147.70, and the March down 65 cents to end at 143. Excuse me, 145.35. In the lean hog market, seeing again some spread here between the December and February deferred contract. The December up 7.5 cents to close at 57.95, while the February down 55 cents to close at 64.50. And of course, we cannot forget about our friends in the dairy market. They hopefully will have good news this week or have something put in place with NAFTA or USMCA agreement. The December contract up two cents on the day to end at 14.06, while the January up seven cents on the day to close at 14.31. Now, as I mentioned, we are going to be talking to another AgriCorps volunteer, so let's kick it over to Mitchell. Well, we're talking to another AgriCorps folk here over in Ghana this time, talking to Mitchell Rosenbaum who is in Ghana, as I mentioned there. Mitchell, tell me a little bit about your journey and how you got into AgriCorps and then how you got into Ghana or, or got sent over to Ghana. Yeah, absolutely. I'm over here in Ghana with AgriCorps, similar uh, to Megan Harper, who we talked to last week. Um, here through the program, I was connected with AgriCorps actually through Tim Hammerich and AgGrad. So, kind of a cool process and I applied and now we're over here in Ghana. I got here in August and I'll be here until about mid-December. Yeah, so it's been a pretty pretty cool experience for sure. So where did you grow up, Mitchell? Is ag in your background? Is it in your bloodline, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in northwest Iowa near Boyden, the small town of Boyden, Iowa on the family farm where we are your textbook Iowa farm. We grow corn, soybeans, and then we raise hogs and sometimes have a few cattle running around. <laughs> That's fun. So Mitchell, actually, maybe we should have talked to Megan about this last week, but walk me through AgriCorps, the program itself. Do you have to be a college graduated student? Do you have to have college at all? What's the application process like to be part of this venture? Yeah, absolutely. So AgriCorps, their mission is they connect American agriculture professionals to the demand for experiential school-based agriculture education in developing countries. So you do have to have a college degree in some sort of ag degree where um, the group that we have here now, we're pretty across the board of a wide variety, but we're all either ag business, uh, animal science, there's agriculture missions, but then there's also agriculture education as well. So we're a pretty diverse group, but we're all within general agriculture. I think there's some dairy science and stuff as mm. well. So what what is and, your role over in Ghana? 
Yeah. So like Megan has said, there are fellows, yeah, AgriCorps fellows is like our uh, actual term, I guess, name as the volunteers. We have three roles, ag teacher, ag club advisor, and agriculture extension agent. So we are each placed in a school. We're each uh, all in junior high schools, actually, and we teach integrated sciences courses where they have agricultural portions in those courses. So I actually teach two days, typically two to three days a week, and I teach the junior high school students, which is roughly in comparison to the American school system, seventh, eighth, and ninth graders. So that has definitely been quite the experience as I uh, graduated a degree in ag business. I wasn't exactly a teacher, but <laughs> AgriCorps has provided us with quite a bit of training, heavily in teacher training, and bringing in some of the things that we have experienced and learned growing up in agriculture and trying to bring that and implement that in the schools here. Yeah, I think that's fascinating that they kind of just throw you guys into the mix and you've maybe never had any experience teaching a classroom or designing your own lesson plan. Mitchell, did you go straight from undergraduate into this AgriCorps program or did you have a little bit of work experience in between? Uh, no, I went straight. I graduated in May just recently. I, you know, had some internships and stuff, but no, I went straight from undergraduate with this being the plan. So, yeah, and AgriCorps did provide us with some very beneficial training for within our first like three weeks here, well, about 10 days in Texas of training and then about two weeks of training here in Ghana. A lot of it was to do with classroom training as well. And lesson planning and also just being very much so like school systems here in Ghana is very much so they just write on the board or have the students read. There's not very much engaging activities. Mm -hmm. So AgriCorps really pushes us to be very engaging, very hands-on, doing as many activities as possible, which has been, which is a, a more fun way to teach and learn from uh, most of our perspectives here. So it's been pretty cool to see that develop in the students. So walk us through, Mitchell, what are some of the projects and some of the uh, the activities you do with your 7th, 8th, and ninth grade age students? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a huge factor of what we have been doing is our school garden. So at our school here, I'm actually placed in a small community uh, called Nami Chrome at the Nana Awari JHS Junior High School. And it's a small community of about 1,000 people. But Every school, for the most part around here, has a school garden or school farm that, like, where the school just owns some ground around it. So we have probably around three acres, and upon my arrival here, it's kind of all just fallow overgrown ground, but I worked uh, a lot with, like, some current teachers, staff, and faculty, uh, farmers within the community, and even um, a local Ministry of Food and Agriculture agent, which is kind of their, like, extension service. And we've really kind of brought that three acres to life, and it's been really cool watching the excitement there within the community. And that has been a huge learning curve within the classroom as well, doing some hands-on activities, uh, take-home projects, giving students opportunities to do small-scale projects themselves, and they have opportunities to, you know, even make some money in the long run or just make some sort of, you know, a crop, like a cowpea, where they can get a fruit from it or, a, you know, some sort of a benefit. So, I've been really trying to implement that and just kind of get the kids excited about agriculture in general, too. Mitchell, do you feel like kids in Ghana that you've worked with have had an understanding of agriculture or 
do you feel like you're coming at this from a new perspective? Uh, they definitely have an understanding of agriculture. There, a lot of their parents are farmers, but some of it's just the excitement about agriculture. It's not. There's not a whole lot of excitement about agriculture there, and I think that's one thing that's kind of holding you know agriculture here, de- development in Ghana back a little bit, as most kids kind of want to go off and get like an office job, which are kind of few and very hard to get. And so it's kind of, that's another big role too here is just promotion of agriculture and excitement and showing that there is a lot of opportunity in agriculture. And that's been something that has been yeah really visible to me kind of the longer, the more time I spend here. But it's also been a very big learning experience for me as well. As, uh, as you can about imagine, the cropping systems here in West Africa are quite a bit different than Northwest Iowa. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's talk about that. What kind of crops are predominantly grown there in Ghana? I I imagine in my head, <laughs> bananas for some reason. Are there bananas in Ghana? There are a lot of bananas. You are correct. Oh. I, I eat a lot of fruit. There's a lot of fresh fruit available for very cheap, which is actually quite fantastic. A lot of oranges, a lot of bananas, uh, grapefruit, and then there's a lot of other vegetables like pepper, onion, tomato. Oh boy. Yeah. Lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, but then other big crops are uh, corn, which they call maize and cassava is big. Mm -hmm. Yams. Plantain is also another big fruit that Mm -hmm. is used a lot. And then like cowpea, which is kind of similar to soybeans. I don't think I would do so well there, Mitchell. I don't love fruit, so uh, that's probably oh, not really? high on my list. What about um, what about protein sources? Is it a lot of like beans, like chickpeas or pinto beans or whatever, or do they have some, I guess, livestock in production there that they also use? Yeah. So main protein sources are yeah definitely beans are available. But primarily chicken and eggs. I eat a lot of chicken and eggs, so that's a pretty readily available source of protein. But also, um, yeah, chicken and fish are the main two sources of protein here. And the other type of meat that's often eaten is just kind of brush meat, which is kind of like a grass cutter, which is kind of like a big, I don't know, like a big groundhog type thing. So that's interesting. And, um, there is sometimes you can find pork and beef there. I've met a couple of guys that are hog farmers. I just kind of have a couple, not very large production systems, but it's available. And so same as the beef, but none of it's ever very good. I guess I'm comparing it to a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a sirloin steak from home, but <laughs> it's there and it's somewhat available, but it's usually much more expensive than any other source of meat and not very good. So, Mitchell, is the chickens, are they just kind of yard birds running around? Does everybody have their own little flock of chickens? <laughs> like or are they, range. Well, or, or are they actually in barns? So there's definitely, there's both being practiced. There's, in my community, there's just flocks of chickens just kind of everywhere. Like, no matter where you go, there's always chickens. Like, even when I'm teaching, there'll be <laughs> chickens that just run across, they come mm-hmm. in the room, run around, and then find the door out again. And it, I, I, I laugh every time, but to the students, it's just like, oh, another chicken came in the classroom. Like, that's so funny. But, <laughs> so they're kind of all over the place, but I have been to, like, 
three like chicken buildings where I'd, I'd probably say they have like a couple hundred heads of chickens or so. And they have like more of a little of a hen house. And usually they have that for the layers so then they can, you know, collect the eggs. But there's a little bit of both, and you never really know. You can only purchase things from the market. You never really know where it's coming from or what it's being mm-hmm. fed. So I'd much rather have one of the chickens from the barn with a controlled diet other than the ones that you see just kind of running around picking through the trash. But <laughs> Yeah, so how uh, you've only been there, what, like maybe two months, two and a half, three months did you experience any culture shock? Are you feeling like you're finally getting settled in now? I'm sure it was very, very eye-opening compared to uh, Iowa here. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely feeling more settled in. It was, you know, a little overwhelming at first. Agricore supplies a great, you know, gives a great support system. Like, I'm, I'm not out here alone. We're relatively close to each other. Mm-hmm. But I am, yeah, the only one in my community, so... There's definitely some culture shock. I, I don't have running water, so I've gotten used to, you know, fetching water and showering with a bucket and washing my clothes in a bucket and washing what's dishes the, in a bucket. Uh, I, I kind of... Without running water, Mitchell, what's the uh, the, the toilet situation there? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. So a few of the other fellows uh, that also don't have running water, they kind of have a, a hole that they can, you know, like squat over. But I'm, I'm actually pretty lucky. I've got like a glorified porta pot so I, I can sit, but. Nice. Yeah, You've got a I, true I don't, don't want to get, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to get too gross, but like, there's some flies down there. When you're going, you kind of want to go fast. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Interesting. Have you talked to your students about the benefits of fertilization? Yeah, absolutely. And one of my students' fathers is actually one of the farmers that has a chicken barn, and he donated some chicken manure to our 4-H program for the school garden. So we've been able to do another like, hands-on activity with that, and we put some fertilizer on the corn, and other we didn't, and we're looking at the benefits of that right now. So it's been a super fun process, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Mitchell, um, you've got quite a bit of time left in Ghana. What are some things that you hope to learn about the country or things that you're hoping to see while you're there learning about Ghana's agriculture system? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of exploration to do, um, especially if I can make it like up north. One of my caretakers here actually grew up in an area farther north in Ghana called the Afram Plains, and that, and he farms up there, so I'm with his brother. And so I think it's a few hours north of me here, like traveling in the, you know, public transit systems here, but it's much flatter and much less thick forest, so they're, like, able to, like, farm on much larger plots, and they use more mechanized, like, tractors and small tractors, and sometimes, I think you said even a couple farmers are combined, so... I'd be very interested in seeing that, especially in terms of the idea that, you know, we're out here, we, we plant corn with a, with a stick and we harvest by hand. So it'd be very interesting to see the development of agriculture and more large-scale production here in Ghana. So now, Mitchell, bring us full circle. You're going to be headed back to the U.S. You've got an ag business degree. How do you see your experience with AgriCorps blending in with what you want to do in the future? 
Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Um, I'm actually very interested in the futures commodities market. So it's one reason I enjoy listening to you guys, the market updates. And I, I have experience trading just with internships and stuff like that. So either way, I think just international experience in general has been very beneficial for me, and especially international agricultural development. I have a much better understanding of the way other people look at the United States and as well as like from a commodity market aspect. And it's very interesting to be a part of that. And I think, I think that's something I, I won't ever, you know, try to take that for granted as that's been something incredibly beneficial for me in my time here. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree a hundred percent with that, Mitchell. Well, we certainly appreciate you listening to the podcast and being a guest for us today and we wish you all the best with the rest of your trip there in Ghana. Awesome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure listening to you guys and staying connected with Iowa. All right, folks. Well, a great discussion again there with Mitchell. Very interesting. And we appreciate it when people reach out to us with ideas or suggestions. Or if you are just a listener of the podcast and think that you have an interesting story to share with us, we would love to have you on as a guest. We're always looking for new content, new stories, and new suggestions. So find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter at Ag News Daily, or you can interact with us on our new home, the globalagnetwork.com. Excuse me, just globalagnetwork.com. And you can contact us there as well with suggestions or listen to any of our past episodes or some of those great podcasts that we also see housed now on the Global Ag Network. So with that, folks, have a great day, and we'll see you right back here tomorrow. 